And thank you. Turn with me to 1 Peter. Uh, last Sunday I began a series of sermons preaching through uh, the book of 1 Peter. And we covered verses 1 and 2 last Lord's Day. We'll pick up and move into verses 3 through 5 today. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. And let's remember, this is the Word of God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ through the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And again, that is God's word. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for another time with your people and your word. And we treasure these times we delight in these opportunities to study your word together and we know that your word is a light into our path a lamp into our feet and I pray it would be that for us today I pray by the Holy Spirit you would open our minds and our hearts to to be able to understand and receive the truth of your word and that you would give us the grace to apply it And I pray that you give us great encouragement and great hope as we look at the gospel together this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the commentaries that I have on 1 Peter is a very small book. And it's entitled, Good News for Bad Times. Good News for Bad Times. And I think that properly sets uh, the tone and the context for this letter that Peter wrote to these struggling believers in Asia Minor. Peter addressed this letter to believers in several different churches who resided in different regions of what we now know as the eastern part of Turkey. They were scattered in these different areas. They were living as aliens and strangers, you might remember, as Peter tells us in verse 1. Well, these dear saints were discouraged. And so Peter, for the most part, as we'll find as we go through this letter, he's writing this letter to encourage them. That's what we saw last week from the first two verses. Remember, I gave my sermon the title last week, Gospel Encouragement. And I pointed out then, it was interesting to me, what biblical truth Peter used to encourage these discouraged Believers, and it is the biblical truth of election. Remember in verse 1, Paul described them as those who reside as aliens scattered throughout a number of different regions, and then he says, who are chosen. These people have been chosen by God to be His. There is nothing more encouraging to you. I would submit it. There's nothing more encouraging to you as a believer than that great biblical truth. Than know that before the foundation of the world, God chose you to be His child. That in time, the Holy Spirit applied that election to your heart. Giving you the ability to trust in Christ, to embrace Him. 
and to live your life for him. That the goal of that election is obedience to Jesus. That you may obey Jesus Christ, he says in verse 2. As a result of being sprinkled and cleansed by the blood of Jesus. No matter what happens to you in your life. You can know that nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. Again, we have a long prayer list in our church. And there are lots of heavy needs in that list. But you can live your life as a believer knowing that nothing on this earth can ever in any way separate you from the love of Christ. And that's because God gave you that love in His mind before the world began. And so let Satan do his work. Let the hardships of life work their havoc. Let the storms blow. Let the winds howl. Let the floods come because they cannot take away from us what is most precious to us and that is the gift of salvation that God has granted to us from all eternity. I can't think of anything more encouraging to discourage believers than that. Well, I've given my message this morning the title, not gospel encouragement, but gospel hope. Not only were these believers discouraged, but also they were without hope. Things in their life simply didn't look good. These were believers who were suffering persecution because of their faith and because of their commitment to Christ. As I mentioned last week, the great persecution of Emperor Nero was about to come upon the church within a year span. Dark clouds loomed over the church and it diminished their hope for the future. And so Peter wrote this letter in part to give them hope. Not just hope for this life, but hope for far beyond. And this hope, this message of great hope, is given as a part of an expression of praise to God that Peter gives us in our text. Look at verse 1 where he says, or excuse me, verse 3, Blessed be, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is really an expression of praise. It's It's a hymn of worship, of doxology, to the Lord for his salvation and for the everlasting hope that we have because of it. Now notice that this hymn is addressed specifically to God the Father. Here it is, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's significant to me because we rightfully today place so much emphasis upon God the Son, upon Jesus. And it is right that we do so. But many times we do that at the expense of a proper appreciation and focus upon God the Father. Don't you realize it was God the Father who chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world? It was God the Father who sent God the Son to die on the cross to pay the penalty and the price for our sin. It is God the Father who sits on the throne with God the Son seated at His right hand. It is God the Father 
who reigns sovereign over all of life and directs the affairs of life according to his perfect and holy will. And so this is a hymn of praise to God the Father. But in it, we find great hope. Four things in this text that Peter gives us as he expresses his praise to God, which give us great hope. And the first is that God has caused us to be born again. Listen again to what Peter says in verse 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again. When Nicodemus came to Jesus to ask him about having eternal life, Jesus gave him a simple answer. He said, you must be born again. The new birth is essential to salvation. But who causes that new birth? It was in the very context of that discussion with with Nicodemus that Jesus says, you know, the wind blows where it will. It comes here, it comes there. We don't cause the wind. We just see the effect of the wind. An analogy of the Holy Spirit and how the Spirit moves according to the sovereign will of God. New birth. The conversion in the Bible is called new birth. We must be born again. And there's a reason that the Bible uses that wording. It is clearly an analogy to our physical birth. Okay, it's Mother's Day. Have lots of mothers here today, and we're all thankful for our mothers, whether they are still here with us on earth or whether they are with Jesus in heaven. But we all have a mother, don't we? Which one of you told your mother you wanted to be born? Which one of you had anything to do with your conception and birth? Which one of you decided... To take it upon yourself to enter this world on your own. None of us did. We're all born of our mothers. Our physical life comes from them. And that's why when Jesus talks about becoming a Christian, he talks about being born again having a new birth not a new physical birth but a new spiritual birth and that's why when the Bible talks about our new birth it talks about us being born of God and born from above notice again how Peter says it God has caused us to be born again If you are a believer this morning, it is because the Holy Spirit has come into your heart and your life, granted you new life, given you new birth, enabling you to do what you were unable to do on your own, and that is believe in Jesus and trust in Him alone for salvation as He's offered to us in the Gospel. And notice what Peter says it is that accomplishes it. It's, it's, it's God's great mercy. According to His great mercy. He has caused us to be born again. There are two biblical words 
in particular that refer to God's work of salvation in our hearts. One is grace and the other is mercy. And the Bible distinguishes between the two. You know, Ephesians 2 says, For by grace are you saved through faith. And grace is God's compassion or dealing with the guilty. I have this burden of guilt before God because of my sin that I can't deal with on my own. And God in His grace comes to me and He forgives me of that guilt. He cleanses it by the blood of Jesus and enables me to have a relationship with Him. God's mercy is His compassion toward the needy. For those who need spiritual help. You might recall that Jesus told a parable, one of the most familiar parables, of the Good Samaritan. The story of a man who was traveling, came across another man who had been beaten and robbed and left for dead. And this Samaritan man came along and saw him, stopped, knelt down, took care of him, bandaged up his wounds, carried him to the next town, put him up, told the people there to make sure he was taken care of, and took care of all his expenses. And when Jesus was finished telling that parable, he told his disciples that Samaritan showed that man mercy. And that's what God does for us. The Bible says that apart from Christ, you and I are spiritually dead. We are helpless and we are hopeless. And God in His mercy, God in His great mercy, comes to us and causes us to be born again and does for us what we could not do for ourselves and grants us new life in Christ. No wonder Peter begins this with such a word of blessing. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so the first is God causes us to be born again. The second thing that we find reason for hope here or the second thing is that God has given us a living hope. A living hope. Look again at verse now at verse 3. Where it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope. You know, one of the blessings of new life, of, of becoming a Christian, of, of being born again, is that it gives us hope. Don't you realize that without Jesus, we have no hope? Do you really grasp that? Folks, without Jesus, people have no hope. And that's why there's such a, such a pall over our culture, really over our world. That's why there's so much discouragement and so much despair. It's because people have such little hope. Now, you all know that hope is a wonderful thing, isn't it? Hope is what keeps us going. You students, 
You hope to graduate from college. And you hope to get a job. And you hope to marry the person of your dreams to get married and have children. You hope to have your own home, to be financially independent, and to live a life that is productive and successful, raising godly children for the Lord. That's your hope. And it keeps you motivated to pursue your goals. Those of us who are older, we've got different goals. But you know, our goals are important to us. We hope to see our children do well, or our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren. We hope to see them expressing faith, living for God, being active in the church. We hope to stay in good health. We hope to be able someday to to retire. We hope to, to continue to serve the Lord all the days of our lives. Hope gives us motivation. And the blessing of this living hope that the Bible says God gives us is a result of the new birth. God causes us to be born again to a living hope. We have the hope, folks, of eternal life. And I want you to understand again, as I'm sure I've said more than once before from this pulpit, biblical hope is far different from the kind of hope you and I talk about today. You know, we say, well, I hope it'll rain. Or I hope the Braves win, or the Saints, whoever it may be. We hope for things over which we have no control whatsoever, and of which we have no assurance that they will take place. Biblical hope is a sure thing. When the Bible says we're born again to a living hope, it's to a living confidence. You see, Assurance of salvation is important, not just to you. You want to know that when you die, you'll go to heaven, don't you? We could take a, a hand raiser on that, couldn't we, this morning? I get a 100% response. We all want to know that when we die, we go to heaven. Well, God wants you to know that too. God wants you to be sure. He wants you to be confident. At the end of 1 John, 1 John 5, John said this, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And notice what this hope is based on. It's based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Easter was a few weeks ago. But you know it's true. Because Jesus lives, so do we. Because Jesus is no longer in the grave, we don't have to spend eternity there either. Because Jesus was ascended to heaven, we have the confidence that we too will be there with Him in heaven. Our living hope comes through the resurrection, the wonderful truth of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Then there's a third thing that God has granted us here that gives us praise, and that's an inheritance. An inheritance. Part of this living hope, folks, is that we are given a heavenly inheritance. 
Now, we all know an inheritance is something passed down from one generation to another. It could be a, a physical trait like uh, blue eyes or olive skin. Could be a personality trait like uh, an outgoing personality or uh, a cheerful spirit. Could be a financial blessing of money or land. Some of you know that your parents or your grandparents have granted you a financial inheritance that you will receive when they die. No. You think you'll receive it when they die. There are many things in life that can take away your financial inheritance that you hope to receive. Inflation, a collapse of the stock market, an economic downturn, a spike in taxes, a lengthy stay in the hospital or nursing home. They can all eat away at your inheritance that you thought would be yours. Earthly inheritances are fragile. They can be taken away so completely you don't have anything left. But notice what Peter says in verse 4. He says that your spiritual inheritance is not like that at all. It is completely safe and secure. And Peter goes to great lengths here to make that clear. He uses four different terms in Verse 4, to describe your spiritual, your heavenly inheritance. In my text, it is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and reserved. I'm not going to spend much time on each one of those four. But you get the idea, don't you? Your spiritual inheritance is imperishable. Nothing can cause it to perish or diminish Nothing can take it away from you. It is also, he says, undefiled. It can't rot. It can't rust. It can't be stolen. Remember, that's what Jesus talked about. when He said, don't lay up your, for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where that doesn't happen. Where nothing can defile your heavenly inheritance. He says that it is unfading. The word there refers to a, to a flower that blooms and then fades. My wife found a little surprise on the front porch yesterday. One of her sons sent her a bouquet of flowers. And they're so pretty. And they mean so much. But you know, in a week or two... No matter how hard she works at it, they're cut flowers, and they're going, they're going to wither. They're going to, their color is going to fade away. And Peter says, that, that won't happen to your spiritual inheritance. And then he says, it is reserved for you. Now, you all know the confidence you have when you go to a restaurant or to a motel, and you have made a reservation for a table or for a room. And you know that all you have to do is you go up there and you give them your, your name and they're going to take you to your table or they're going to give you the number of your room. You have it. It is reserved in your name. Well, don't you remember what Jesus said in John 14? I go to prepare a place for you. 
You hear that? Jesus has reserved a place for you in heaven. It has your name written on it. And when you pass from this life to the next, God will grant it to you because Jesus prepared it for you. An imperishable, undefiled, unfading, reserved, spiritual inheritance. And then there's a fourth truth here, and that is that God protects our salvation. You know, Peter's just described how secure our inheritance is, but here in verse 5, he makes it clear through the Holy Spirit that it's not of your doing. It's not because of anything in you or about you or because anything you can accomplish. It is completely a work of God. Look at verse 5. This is reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. What does that mean? It means that God has His hand of protection over you so that no thing and no one can ever keep you from collecting your heavenly inheritance. You cannot be protected by anything greater than the power of God. I was back in Louisville one day this week trying to help some friends who Homes were destroyed in the tornado. I was standing on the, in the front yard of what used to be in my, my friend's house. And we were talking there, and I bet while we were talking on his front lawn, the, the Louisville Police Department went by four or five times. Of course, they were patrolling to make sure that what's left of those people's property wasn't harmed by looters. And I'm sure it gave those people great confidence to see the police driving by so regularly. Folks, that's nothing compared to the protection that you have as a believer because of the power of God that watches over you every moment of every day so that you can be assured that you will receive the reward of your inheritance or as what Peter calls here our salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You might say, well, I, th- I thought I already had salvation. Why does he talk about a salvation that's yet to be revealed? Well, there, there are uh, three aspects to your salvation. Past tense, present tense, future tense. You were saved. When you are born again by the Holy Spirit, brought to faith, you are converted at that point. You have been saved. But there's a sense in which you, in the present, are continuing to be saved. That is, the work of the Holy Spirit in sanctifying you, conforming you more and more to the image of Christ, enabling you to obey Jesus. And, but there's a future hope where we, we haven't received it all yet. Aren't we thankful for that? There's far more yet a salvation yet to be revealed when we will by God's grace and through faith see Him and live with Him forever. Well, how do you come to that? Again, you come to it through faith. You are protected by the power of God through faith. 
There you see, we see God's part and our part. God protects us and we believe that He will. God says, I'm going to keep you. And we trust God to do just that. We believe God's promises. We know that He'll keep His word. That He'll bring us safely home. No wonder. Is it no wonder that, that Peter begins this section by this great doxology, this, this great word of praise, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's interesting to me, and it really didn't strike me until the very end of my preparation for this sermon. I referred last week and this week to the great text in Ephesians chapter 1. I want you to keep your finger in 1 Peter as I conclude and go back to Ephesians chapter 1. Because Paul and Peter begin these great texts about God's sovereignty and salvation the exact same way. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Sound familiar? Right out of our text in 1 Peter. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise to Him who what in Ephesians 1? Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing and the heavenly places in Christ just as He chose us in Him. Before the foundation of the world. And then you come to 1 Peter 1, where Peter talks about those who are chosen and blessing God for causing them in His great mercy to be born again to a living hope, to an inheritance which is undefiled, unfading, imperishable, reserved, and who are protected by His power. I want you to have great hope this morning. Don't you see the beauty of it? Because this living hope that we have in our heavenly inheritance in eternity future. That's where our hope is. Our hope is rooted in eternity future, but it's based on what? It's what God has done in eternity past. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. May you find hope in that today. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. How we pray that you'd use your word as the sword of the Spirit in our hearts today. Peeling away anything in our hearts that may be displeasing to you. That we would be able to give you praise and glory and thanks as Peter does in this text for your great work of salvation. We might be the people you've called us to be. Be encouraged as a result of the gospel and have great hope through our faith in it. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.